All right, let me pray for us to get us going. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we just bring these requests before you. As always, we ask that you would answer and that you would meet the need and that you would bring about healing and help and hope in whatever situation, Lord, we pray that you would allow us to trust you with those things, lay them at your feet so that we can focus on what you have to say to us right now through your word. So we really, really desperately want to hear from you. Just nothing else is more important than hearing from you tonight as we open your word. So I just pray, I pray that you would make our hearts receptive and ready to hear whatever it is you have to say to us. And that we would adjust and that our lives would be changed and different because of what you do through your word tonight. So we just ask for your blessing on it. We thank you for Jesus and everything that he is to us, for his death and resurrection. In his name we have life, and it is he that we worship and praise. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so Psalm 119, we're actually going to do just a little bit tonight. Real quick, I wanted to give you, oops, okay, a few updates on City Light Church before we jump into that. I usually put this at the end, and I get so focused on the sermon I forget. So I just want to let you know. Uh, just a reminder, once again, I am planting a church. We, a bunch of us, are planting a church in the West Falls Church area. We have a donation thing there now, so anything you can do would be super helpful for us. Uh, if you're planning on joining us, you can switch your tie there, all that stuff. Uh, just a reminder that it's not NBC, so we don't have NBC money, you know. They're, very, they're being very supportive uh, of what we're doing, uh, but we need people that are invested in what we're doing financially. So that's one place. Honestly, if you can give like $20 a month, do that, fantastic. Secondly, we have a bunch of things coming up that we'd love for you guys to be at. Now, obviously, I'd love for a ton of y'all to come be with us forever. I think that would be great, uh, and I hope that's true. Uh, also, at the same time, if you're like, I mean, I love McLean and all that stuff, and I want to be here, that's totally, I love this place. I affirm that. Awesome. But if you want to come help us get these things rolling and do it well, that would be killer, okay? That would just be like... A little love thrown to me and to the community there. That would be awesome. So uh, May 19th, we have a service at 5 p.m. at Falls Church High School. Setup's going to begin at 3. We're going to have dinner and stuff after. So we're going to do service, then eat and chill and get to know each other. So I'm excited for that. So that's May 19th. So if you can join us there, help us set up, or just come be a part of it, that would be great. The second thing, on May 25th, uh, we have a big community event. This is cool because this has God's hand on it because, um, well, hopefully it all does. But we were going to have a cookout just for us so we can get to know each other. And a few relationships happened and boom, it exploded into a community event where we uh, have uh, all these different people coming now that aren't a part of what we're doing, don't know Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we're really excited to do that. We're gonna serve there. We'll have a, a farmer's market and food trucks and all sorts of stuff going on from nine to one at Falls Church High School. So if you can join us there on Saturday, just come serve, kick it with us, that'd be great. Uh, secondly, or thirdly, we have a VBS we're running in the community July 22nd through the 26th. We're also uh, going to partner to run uh, art and creative camps and sports camps at the same time, prayerfully, Lord willing. So uh, if you have any interest in that, it's going to be at night, 4 to 9. So if you go to work, you can come right after work. It's not during the daytime, so we can get more of the community there. So if you can put that in your calendar, if you want to come serve with kids, help teach art stuff, help teach sports, probably soccer, whatever it might be, come join us for that. That would be great. Uh, and then finally, just a mark on your calendar, we have three more services this summer, June 16th 
28th and 11th at 5 p.m. at Falls Church High School. If you can mark those and come join us just to help, that would be uh, amazing. And September 15th is when we launch for good, forever. Uh, and just a reminder, I'm here through Labor Day. So you haven't gotten rid of me yet. So June 16th, 28th, and 11th. So those are things that are coming up. You can be on the newsletter, get information. If you're not, let me know or shoot me an email. I can put you on there. Just wanted to inform you of what we're doing and ask you guys to, to think about how God might be leading and how you might want to participate with us. All right? So now on to the Bible, which is the most important thing. All right, Psalm 119. So we're actually tonight, we normally do two sections every time. We're going to do one, and we'll, we'll break it up. Uh, we'll do one next week too particularly because of there's a particular part here that I wanted us to focus in on and spend some time in and not, not drive by too fast. So instead of both sections in your booklet, we'll do one of them. It's the first one. So why don't you go ahead and read it with me. Uh, verse 145, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before the dawn and I cry for help. I hope in your Words, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you founded them forever. And so today we're just going to learn two very simple things. The first is to be consumed with God. The second is that we can be comforted by God. So from Psalm 119, 145 through 152, two things we really see that stand out is we ought to be consumed by God. And secondly, we have the opportunity to be comforted by God himself. So the first thing, be consumed by God. Here's, here's what, when I was reading this psalm and wanted to think about what we're going to focus in on, what really stood out is verses 147 and 148. And uh, my little sentence from this, you should write this down, is it is better to not sleep than to not pray. There's a lot of knots in there, but I, that seemed to be the best way to say it. It's better, it's better, greater than, to not sleep than to not pray. So clearly, we need both. You need sleep, you're a human being, et cetera, et cetera. But when we see in terms of value systems, and what happens in our lives when we neglect one of those two, the consequences are far greater, far greater to neglect prayer than to neglect sleep. And as we see here, he says these two verses right here. I rise before the dawn and I cry for help. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night. Or some translations would say, I am awake all night that I may meditate on your promise. So I'm getting up early and I'm staying awake through the night or during the watches of the night or I'm waking up at different parts of the night to do this so that I can put my hope in Jesus and do so by meditating on his word. It's better to not sleep than to not pray. Now, some of you may know the effects of not sleeping. Obviously, you all know them by experience, but let me list a few of them for you. And uh, I don't think... Any of y'all in here have kids as far as I know, so you have no excuse. Okay. Okay. I'm just telling you, sleep now. Okay. You at least have a choice. Sleep now. All right. Number one. Uh, okay. Here's what. A lack of good sleep can, this is just a few things, can lead to obesity, depression, low productivity, an inability to concentrate, heart disease, poor social awareness, irritability, to name a few, 
and a thousand, thousand, thousand million other things. It makes you a bad worker, a bad friend, a bad driver. You know that getting uh, less than four hours of sleep a night puts you at some level of drug alcohol level. Where you could be sort of tipsy, you're operating as a person who's just a little bit tipsy, a little bit off at less than four hours of sleep a night. So, that's what a lack of sleep will do to you. That's not good. You should sleep. I saw something going around on social media recently where they were, uh, did anybody see this where um, Steve Harvey said like, if you sleep a lot, you're not going to get rich or something like that. Anybody see this, right? And then there was this thing about Bill Gates and... um, Warren Buffett talking about how dumb that how dumb an idea it is that if you're too if you're being super busy means you're super productive, and they had all this thing about sleep how you should get at least eight hours of sleep a night. The richest, most effective, productive people in the world are the ones who sleep the most, ironically enough, or who at least get eight hours. You know, probably that's probably not true. Some twelve-hour college students aren't aren't that productive, so not sleeping the most doesn't necessarily equal being super productive. Let's let's make clear on that, but. The idea being that sleep is uber, uber important, and the myth that you should burn the candle at night to be super successful is a myth. So you had these guys talking about that, and people railing on that. You guys have experienced this in your own life, that a lack of sleep brings about huge problems, and that sleep is essential to your productivity as a human being. Now, we learn from the Bible, amongst other verses I'm going to show you, that it's better to give up your sleep, which is super important, than to give up your time with God. It's better. If for some reason you had to choose, now hopefully we begin to learn to manage our schedule in a way we get both, but if some reason you had to choose and you were just too busy or whatever, it's better, better to not sleep than to not pray and to not be in the word of God, to not spend time with God. So we saw a lack of good sleep can lead to obesity, depression, low productivity, poor social awareness, irritability, amongst other things. A lack of prayer and meditation on the word of God can lead to a self-destructive lifestyle, can lead to being trapped in sin without hope of deliverance, can lead to being disconnected from God, your very source of peace, joy, life, and purpose. It can lead to foolishness on a daily basis, acting in pride and selfishness, among a thousand other things that will destroy your life, and ultimately a lack of time with God. If you never ever want to spend time with God, it's probably a sign that you don't know God And the end of a person who doesn't know and trust in Jesus and have a personal relationship with God is separation from God in a place called hell forever. And so now we see to the very max and at many levels, the lack of spending time with God has dire consequences. And sometimes we see this when we sleep. We think about, okay, we learn about sleep to say uh, it has dire consequences in your life to not make sure you're getting enough sleep. And those consequences drive us to adjust ourselves. And I think sometimes we're, we're, we're lied to, we're caught up in the idea that it's just kind of whatever. And as long as I get a little time here and there with the Lord, as long as I'm not going crazy in my life out here, that, it's, that not getting good time with God is not having an ill effect in my life. Maybe because I don't see it right now or haven't experienced it quite yet. And that's a complete lie to say the, the, the same, the worst. If it's bad to not sleep just one night, it's bad bad and destructive to yourself to not spend time with God. And you hear what we're saying is Jesus is saying throughout his word, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. So the point isn't it's bad for you to not read the Bible and spend time in prayer because that makes you a bad Christian and God will be mad at you. That's not what we're saying. That's not what the Bible's saying. It's saying it's bad for you. You would flourish more if you spent time with God. You'd be more connected to God if you spent more time with God. 
you would feel more peace and joy and purpose. Even in your suffering, you would be stable and secure if you spent more time with God. We've said this for the last few weeks, we're going to keep harping on this, that the benefit, the amount of benefit you receive from God's word is in direct proportion to the amount of time you give to it. I just can't, if that's one thing we get from Psalm 119, the amount of benefit you get from God's word, from being with the Lord, is in direct proportion to the amount of time you give to it. So if you want more of what God has to give you, more of what he wants to do in your life, you want closer, you want to be close to him, you want to feel really close to him and walk with him, all those different things. Well, you can do that by being dedicated to talking with him and being with him in his word. And so we see from this, very simply, it is better to not sleep than to not pray and to not be in God's word. The consequences of not being in God's word are devastating on a daily basis and an eternal basis. So I want to give you a few other verses to show you how David and the other psalmists feel this way often. Psalm 63, 6 says, When I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Psalm 63, 6, When I remember you upon my bed, I meditate upon you, God, in the watches of the night. Psalm 88, 14, But I, O Lord, cry to you, in the morning my prayer comes before you. So I cry to you, O Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan, and he hears my voice. Evening, morning, and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan. I talk with God, he hears my voice. Psalm 5, 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Psalm 92.2, declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. I declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Something that's interesting that we see here is hope is attached to the morning and meditation is attached to the night. Now obviously when you read God's word, you get hope whether you do it in the morning or at night. And obviously the best way to read God's word in the morning or at night is to meditate and let it soak in. But I think the same idea that we read from Psalm 92, I declare steadfast love in the morning. As I get ready for my day, I, I declare, I receive, I remember God's love for me. It gives me hope to enter into my day regardless of my circumstances. I receive hope when I get into God's word and I enter my day with hope. Or I enter my day with love, feeling securely loved by God. So in the morning, that's what I receive. At night, I remember God's faithfulness as I look back on my day. And I remember how God has been faithful to uphold me, strengthen me, and be with me throughout the day. Or i.e., I meditate. At night, I take time to meditate and remember how God has been faithful and who God is. There's something about the morning that requires hope, an experience of God's love, an assurance that God is with me, that he will be with me, that he loves me no matter what happens to me today, no matter what my life looks like today, no matter what my circumstances are today, God loves me. His love is steadfast. It will not change. It's the same yesterday as it is today. I therefore have hope in him. I go into my day full of hope, which not only helps me, but everybody around me. Instead of sucking the life out of situations that are around me because I feel hopeless, I now enter into situations ready to give because I have been filled by the hope and the love of Jesus. 
So now I'm not only more beneficial to myself, but I'm more beneficial to those around us. There's something about the morning that necessitates hope, a security of God's love to launch us into the day, excited, fearless, comforted with God. There's something about the night that leaves room for meditation and thoughtfulness and reflection about how God has worked that day, how he has worked in your life, and how he has been faithful to you time and time again. And if these are the rhythms of your life, to some degree, you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus. So not only do we see that here in the Psalms, that it's better not to sleep than to not pray. We see it in the example of Jesus. Some more verses for you to write down. Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So Jesus, this is right when his ministry takes off. Everybody's like, whoa, this dude's awesome. They're crowding him, everything. He goes early in the morning, and he goes while it's still dark, before the sun rises. He departs, he goes to a desolate place, and he prays. Now, he had been up earlier that night. He had worked all the day before him tirelessly. He knew that the day ahead was full of people that are going to be begging for his presence, begging for him to do something for them. He was going to be busy all day. And so the thing that he needed the most, this is Jesus, so if Jesus thought it was a good idea and necessary for him, he's Jesus, then how much more so? This is a good idea and necessary for us. If you think you're busy, you're not Jesus busy, not a chance, not a chance. If you think people need you, you're not needed like Jesus, not a chance. And so Jesus is going to prepare for his day by being with the Father, and he's going to rise up early knowing, listen, knowing that he'll function better if he gets up and spends time with the Father than if he had gotten a little bit more sleep. This is practically helpful for you and to me to say, I will function better today as a human being, number one, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, more importantly, but I will function overall better, have more self-control, more purpose, more clarity, more enjoyment of the people around me, more ability to follow the Lord clearly with a full heart. I will function today better if I have a little less sleep and a little more time in God's word. So start at 10 minutes, start at 20 minutes. Even if you go to bed late, the idea being that eventually you create a rhythm that allows you to be healthy, to sleep how you need to sleep and to spend time with the Lord. But even if you don't get the sleep that's needed, that's not an excuse. This is something I had to tell myself too. It's not an excuse to not be with the Lord. It's better not to sleep than to not pray. And so we see from Jesus' life, his preparation for the day, he received hope from the Father to go into his day ready to attack whatever was before him. Jesus gives us the example of how important it is to pray and to be with the Lord and to be in his word. Luke 6, 12, another Jesus example. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. All night he continued in prayer to God. In these days, it says, he went out to the mountain to pray all night. All night. He continued in prayer to God. And so once again, Jesus being awesome and perfect in every way. Once again, Jesus being more busy than we could ever imagine. Jesus takes the whole night to go to God in prayer. Now, he didn't do this every night. Jesus slept. So we're not saying, oh, you should just whatever, you know. But we're saying it looks like in Jesus' life, there are times that necessitate a real commitment to getting extra, extra time with the Father. Time with God in prayer and in God's word. So if Jesus thought that there would be times that he needed to go above and beyond to spend extra time with God through the night, to think about him through the watches of the night as the psalmist, so should we. Finally, Luke 5, 16, 
This is just a consistent theme in Jesus' life, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. So we see Mark 1, morning, Luke 6, night, Luke 5, just a consistent theme of his life, that he would find time with the Father in prayer, remembering who he is and what God has called him to do. So we see it in David, we see it in Jesus, and we begin to learn the benefit of unhurried time. So unhurried time equals incalculable results. Unhurried time equals incalculable results. Think about this. When, you, when you're, uh, this is one of the benefits. We're just going to stretch a little bit to say, I'm not expecting you to like change your alarm to 3 a.m. every morning right now. But just think about the fact that whenever you, whenever you try to open God's word, you do it in the morning or at night or wherever, you always have something else in mind that you have to go do or accomplish. Am I right? No matter how sincere you may be, no matter how much you want that time to count, you cannot get out of your mind that at 7 o'clock, at 7.20, I have to go ahead and start getting ready for work. So I have 20 minutes. And the 20 minutes might be wonderful, it's 20 minutes. But the whole time you're thinking, I got somewhere to be. I have something else to do, and I need to get there and accomplish that. And so your time, no matter how much time you might get, it's rushed. Because there's something happening in your brain that says, I have something else to do. Or even if you do it at night, you know, and you're like, man, I really want to get in God's word. And you're like, man, I got to get to sleep to get up, you know. And so you're just thinking about when this will be over so I can go to sleep. When can I check it off so I don't feel guilty anymore about not reading God, the, the word of God, right. We all have done that, right. Let me just check it off. Let me say my conscience will feel a little better. That's how I used to read the Bible all the time. So the benefit of unhurried time. If you take time early in the morning, like earlier than normal. Or if you wake up in the middle of the night, there's nothing else to go do. There's nowhere to rush off to. And there's an, an unusual benefit that comes from unhurried time. And so I'll just ask you, I think from the, the word would show us that if you implemented that at any level in your life, to any degree, you would begin to experience the benefit. Unhurried time equals incalculable results. I would encourage you to check out a podcast we did on Citywide Front Row with this guy, Philippe. This guy is, like, awesome, and he's just legit. If you look at the podcast, Citywide Front Row, find Philippe. He talks about this new habit that he developed uh, to wake up about 3 in the morning and pray. And I, this is legit. I'll get texts, you know, when I wake up from him that he sent me at 3 in the morning that I didn't see because I wasn't up at 3 in the morning. I'll get them when I wake up. Uh, and I'll, I'll see him from him. He'll be, like, praying this, this, and this, and this for you. And I'm like, man. I don't even wake up at three to pray for my family, much less some random dude like a friend of mine. You know, I, I, would, that would be a, I would be way down your list, I would think, about people you'd pray for. So to make it to me, it must be, must be something for your prayer life. And he just talks through the benefit of unhurried time. He gives this great analogy of how it takes a train a mile to stop. And his whole point is, the same is true for you and for me, that if we're going to be still before the Lord, it doesn't happen as soon as you sit down. Open God's word, begin to try to read, begin to try to spend time with God. It takes you, you all know this from experience, a good 10 to 20 minutes just to slow down. Just to get in a space where you can begin to and receive whatever it is God has for you. Focus in on what he's trying to say. It takes you a good amount of time, 10 to 20 minutes more than likely, to slow down so you can finally be in a place to meditate and reflect. And if you never spend more than 15 minutes with the Lord, you're always, always in a rushed state of mind with God. Always. You haven't given yourself a chance to slow down, stop, and receive and hear from God. 
So I think the analogy is fantastic. He lives out in his own life. You should listen to what he talks about, the benefits. Anyways, he's a real-life example, not a Bible character, of trying to live this out in a very consistent way. So check that out uh, on the podcast. So here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and take some time. Talk about what this might look like in your own life together. Try to apply it and think through how you can do this in your real life, all right? So go ahead and talk with each other.
All right, take a minute, wrap up your, your awesome thought there, and we'll, we'll finish. Right. So let's do the second half here. So the first point, be consumed by God or be consumed with God. It is better to not sleep than to not pray. It is best to do both. Okay. Secondly, uh, in the second section, be comforted by God. The truth we see here is that when trouble is near, so is God. So it's better not to sleep than to not pray. Be comforted by God. When trouble is near, so is God. I love this part here. He says, hear my voice according to your steadfast love. Oh, yes, I love, like, eh, whoops, go back. So he's saying, like, hey, listen to me, hear me according to love. Like, as I cry and plead with you, hear it with ears of love, a heart of love towards me, which is, which is what he's going to do. It's what the Lord does to us. And according to your justice, give me life. Now here it is. They draw near who persecute me with evil. They are far from your law. But what's the comfort? You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known your testimonies and founded them forever. So you have this idea that uh, in the midst of my struggles, and remember, as we've been learning, Psalm 119 is all about the Bible. It's all about the word of God in the context of suffering and affliction. So almost everything we look at every week is this is the value of the word in the midst of some affliction, suffering. And so Psalm 119 is a really, really, really great place to consistently go to when you're struggling, when things around you don't look good, so that you can be reminded about how to navigate that situation with God in the midst of the trouble. So the, the principle you learn here about your own trouble is that when the enemy draws near, God is nearer, and if you, but it's almost like you are more near, nearer, okay? When the enemy is near, God is nearer, more near. It's, I don't even know if nearer is a word, no. More near is probably the way to go, but I like nearer. I don't, you'll remember that. God is nearer uh, to me. So when trouble is near, so is God. So I thought about, when I was thinking through this, uh, a couple pictures, illustrations in the Bible, a couple examples of what this actually looks like. In real time. So one story, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. Some of you guys know this. It's the story of Elisha and his servant when they're surrounded by the enemy and what happens. So verse 15, this is real short. When the servant of the man of God, being Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So you got an army surrounding the city. You can see it. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he's terrified, like we're about to get conquered. And then Elisha says to him, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And his servant is very confused, and Elisha prays and says, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. 
So the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So you have this perspective of the servant to look out at his circumstances and see trouble and to see it very near. He sees trouble, he's terrified, the trouble is near and it's coming upon him. And Elisha says, hey, ask the Lord, say, hey, open, open his eyes, let him see what's really happening. He opens his eyes and as soon as God opens his eyes, he sees chariots of fire surrounding them. And you'll see as you keep reading that the Lord routes the army and he gives them victory. It says he actually makes everybody blind, which is crazy. So he walks up to them. He's like leading them to a place, to a trap, basically. They're all blind. They don't know what's happening. And you get this picture, I just think in a real cool, biblical, visual way, of when it looks like trouble, when trouble is near, the Lord is actually nearer. And you need spiritual eyes to see it. This is the important thing. The more time you spend in God's word, the more time meditating with God, the more time you spend hoping in him, remembering his faithfulness, the more clearly you'll see with God's eyes. You wonder why some people have so much faith, why they don't, why they just believe even though everything looks sucky. And they're looking around and it's like this looks terrible and they're just trusting God. Usually the reason for that is they've been with the Lord. So when they see trouble, they've been with God long enough to know that if trouble looks near, so is God. And they know that. And just like the prophet saw something very real and visual for him, in the same way the Bible teaches us about demons and spirits and angels and how angels are ministering spirits to serve the people of God. And there's this real reality that in the midst of your trouble, not only is God near, but he sends literal angels to minister to you and to help you in ways that are unseen. And if you had eyes to see, you would be super encouraged and super terrified at the same time about the things that are going on around you. But the principle that the Lord really wants you to see here, that's very simple for us, is when trouble seems near, so is God. And the more time we spend with God, the more we will see with his eyes. And I'm not saying that if you go spend a lot of time with God, you're going to see angels floating around all the time fighting battles for you. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is you spend more time with God, you're going to see from his perspective. You're going to see how he might be working. You're going to see who he is in the midst of your trouble. You're going to find confidence in him. You're going to believe and trust God that he works all things together for good. You're going to believe and trust God that he loves you no matter what the circumstance looks like. And you're going to see with God's perspective. And it's going to help you in the midst of that time to not be afraid. So when trouble is near... Whether it's a health problem, a personal problem, a relational problem, a job problem, something you're worried about in the future, something that right now is crushing you and trouble is near, so is God. What we've talked about a few weeks ago was the temptation in suffering is to get through it and be done with it. Because we just want it over. And what God usually wants to do is take you, meet with you in it so that you learn what he's teaching you and you become more like him and you see him more clearly instead of just trying to take you through it. So, get this, if you just try to get through it, it might last longer because God wants you to experience something in it. And the sooner you get with God on what he's doing, the sooner you might get to the other side of what God wants you to see. And so we see in the midst of suffering that God is near and that oftentimes the Lord wants to show us something, to reveal something to us, to make us more like him, to prune some stuff away from us, to get rid of some sin and wickedness in our lives, to make us trust him more and not rely on ourselves. He's, he's doing something to create a new reality in your life. 
And if you had spiritual eyes, when suffering and trouble comes, you'd see it that way. And instead of trying to get over it or just get through it, and now there's nothing wrong. You, it's great to pray like, Lord, end this. Lord, I want to be out. That's totally fine. But as your perspective, you can pray, Lord, make this done. I mean, your perspective needs to be, though, as long as it remains, let me join God in what he is doing. Give me your eyes to see. That's going to help you an awful lot. I'm just telling you, telling you, telling you, telling you. If you don't try to just get through it, but you join God in what he's doing in it, let him give you spiritual eyes to see, you're going to be helped. So when trouble is near, so is God. Let me give you another example. Mark 6, 45 through 52. So the first story was uh, 2 Kings Second Kings 6, 15 through 17. This one's Mark 6, 45 through 52. Immediately it says, he made the disciples, this being Jesus, get into a boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So they just did ministry amongst the big crowd. The disciples get sent away or the crowd leaves. And after he had left them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So when evening came, the boat was out on sea and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So they're struggling. They're in the midst of a storm. The things around them do not look good. Trouble is near. And it says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and he said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He got into the boat with them, the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So you see this reality, the same story you'll see in a, a different story in Mark 4 about how when, they're, when Jesus is asleep in the boat and the storm's about to take them over, right? And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Wake up. You know, he wakes up. And he looks out, he says, be still, everything chills out. And then he looks at them and he says, why are you so afraid? Which is a funny question because they almost died. That would probably be a good reason to be afraid. And Jesus' whole point is, if I was in the boat with you, there's nothing to be afraid of. Not even near death. Like he, he, thinks, he thinks fear because waves are going up over your boat is a ridiculous response with the reality being that Jesus is in the boat with you. Why are you afraid, he says. Which is a funny question. I'd be like, that's a dumb question. I was afraid because I almost died. That's a good reason. And Jesus was like, no, not if I'm in the boat with you. That's not a good reason. And when trouble's near, so is God. And we see that in the story of spiritual warfare around. We see it in Jesus and the way he lived and the way he met the disciples. We see it most importantly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is ultimately true in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The message of the Bible is that you and I are in trouble, that we have sinned before God. The wrath of God is on its way. It's coming down upon us. And that if we die without resolution, we end up in a place called hell, separate from God forever. Trouble is with us from day one because the world is broken. And trouble goes with us in ourselves because our relationship with God is broken. And what Jesus did ultimately was not step away and say, well, you got to deal with you got to deal with, find a way. Jesus came near in the midst of our greatest trouble. Jesus came to live and die, to be raised again from the dead, and allow you to have peace with God through what he did, not anything that you can do. You see this most clearly in the gospel. Greatest trouble in the world, wrath of God. What does Jesus do? Come near. How close? All the way to die. What does Jesus do after that? Raised again from the dead. And what does he do then? Offer us eternal life in his name. What does that mean? Well, if you believe in him, what happens? He dwells in you. 
in. So now, through faith in Jesus, people who follow Christ have Jesus living inside of them. He is near, 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 super near through the blood of the cross. And so remember, we want to take things from the greater to the lesser. We do this a few times. If that's true, in the midst of your greatest trouble, Jesus came near, paid the ultimate price, and now created a way for you to live in him, for him to live in you, for you guys to abide together. If that's true, how much more so then is it true that in your smaller troubles of this earth, Jesus is in it with you, he's near with you, and he's taking care of you through the whole thing. If he's going to take care of your sin and wrath of God problem, come near to handle that, take on flesh, be with people, die and rise again. If he's going to do that and go to that extent to take care of your troubles, then he's not going to leave you when you have lesser troubles like job, health, relationships, future worries, whatever it might be. He's not going to leave you then. If he took care of you with the biggest thing, he's not going to not take care of you with the lesser thing. And so this perspective of Jesus that gives us spiritual eyes to say, ultimately I see that Jesus is committed to drawing near to me through the death and resurrection that he offers me, that I may have eternal life and be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So, that being true, how much more so will Jesus be near to me in my time of trouble, take care of me, walk with me, and deliver me in the way that he sees best from whatever it is that ails me. If the gospel is true, then everything else about how Jesus is dealing with me is true and good. So sometimes we get so myopic, you know, like we're just focused on this, that we, it looks really big. When really it's like this and we've missed the whole background of Jesus and what he's done for us. We forget that, the gospel, and we're just so focused on what he's not doing for us right now. And we forget the greatest thing in the world, that if he came near to us then, he'll come near to us now. So... Trouble, and when trouble is near to you, so is God. So be comforted by God. And you know, when I think about this, uh, yeah, just the other day, I, I've, I've never experienced the comfort of God more than when trouble feels near. I don't know if you guys are, have that experience where it's just whenever something's troubling, awkward, whatever, you're trying to do something for the Lord and it seems to backfire sometimes. Uh, it's in those moments where you really experience the presence of God. And last week, uh, my wife and I had court for our, our little foster baby girl. So, you know, we, we had uh, the oldest one for a while. We adopted him, praise God, and all that's done. Uh, so then the Lord uh, put a little baby girl in our laps, and we've had her for four months now. And so we went to court last week uh, where we met the biological parents for the first time, which was an interesting experience. Uh, and then you sit there for an hour and you listen to them talk about the future of your baby girl and what that's going to look like and who's going to whatever, 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 and all this stuff. And when you're walking in that experience, it's hard to describe what it's like to, to walk into a courtroom and even wait in the lobby and have all these, this, this trouble almost surrounding you and you have no control. No, none. Literally none. We have no say in what happens to that girl's life. And she's our baby girl. She's been with us. We're all she knows. We're all she knows since day two. And so you're walking in that situation and you're thinking, like, I just, man, it's just trouble all around me. And I have no control over the situation. I feel anxious. I feel worried, like, to the point where your stomach's, up, you know, bothering you and you just feel, like, overwhelmed. You're not sure how it's going to happen. Your hands get a little sweaty. Uh, 
and it just feels like, man, I'm, I'm surrounded by something that troubles me, that's something that bothers me, and I literally can't do anything about it. I can't fight. I can't say I can't. I can't control the situation. And uh, you, we get off the elevator, and you're nervous. You go sit down, and it's just in those moments. You're sitting in the courtroom. You listen to all these people talk about the future of, of this girl. You're learning all the things that have happened, and whatever, whatever. It's super strange. And uh, it's in those moments where things are out of your control and where you have lots of reasons to be afraid and you have no control over whether you can solve the troubles around you, it's in those very moments that the presence of God is felt, that God comes near in a very unique way to say, I'm not just going to like you, you know, it's not like you're just walking out of there all giddy, feeling better, but it's the sense that when trouble's near, when I'm anxious, when things around me are worrying me and I'm afraid, Jesus reminds me that he's with me. And he does it in a way that I, I don't get when I'm not walking into dark places for him. So not only is this true for the troubles you experience by circumstance, but it's true for the times when you're trying to follow Jesus and it's hard and it sucks and things around you don't go the way that you would like. Following Jesus seems like a burden because it's just making you pick up a cross and die. It's not, ple- not It doesn't feel good sometimes when you're walking into places that trouble you because you're trying to walk with Jesus. And in the midst of those places, it's where you experience the nearness of God the most. The most. So when trouble is near, so is God. And if you enter into trouble for Jesus on purpose, Jesus is going to be with you in it. And it's just an encouragement to all of us, not only the trouble by circumstances, but the trouble you enter into for his name, the trouble you enter into at work or or relationships or whatever, because you're laying down yourself, you're trying to follow Jesus into it, it creates trouble in your circumstances, reputation or whatever, that you walk into that knowing that when trouble surrounds me, so does Jesus. So not only is that true when things happen to me, but it's true when I attempt to walk with him and things get harder. And you can never forget, never, never forget that when trouble's near, so is Jesus. So why don't you guys take the next uh, 10 minutes here, close up by talking through uh, what that looks like in your own life. And even encouraging one another with testimonies of how God has been faithful in the midst of your own personal troubles and stuff. So go ahead and do that, and then I'll, I'll close this in prayer in a little bit.
All right, take a minute and wrap up your fabulous thought. All right, well, let me pray for us. If you're praying as a group, just keep doing that. Uh, and I'll just pray over us and, and close us out in just a second, all right? So let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that, um, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to be comforted by, by you, that you would remind us, help us to not just hear it now, but to believe it and go live like it, that, that when trouble is near, so are you, that we're never forsaken. You never leave us. You're always with us. Ultimately, we see it at the cross, and we see it every day in our lives, God. So just remind us of that. I just pray that you would lift up and encourage maybe those in the room that needed that extra reminder, especially tonight in the midst of, of rough circumstances, I pray, that they would just be comforted by you, that they would experience that in this very moment. And as they leave from here, that we would walk out of here comforted by you. And I, I pray as well that we would go pursue being consumed by you, that morning, noon, and night, that we would consider it more important to pray than to sleep, and that we would be a people devoted to you. That doesn't happen all at once, God. So I just pray that you would give us a work in our hearts to help us desire that more, and then help us, God, go implement it even a little bit, just a little bit more, a little bit more time with you, a little bit more devotion, a little bit earlier in the morning, a little bit later at night, whatever it might be. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would leave from here and, and go obey and go implement and that we would see the change you want to bring about in our lives, God. So we love you. We thank you that your word is so powerful and that no time we spend in it is a waste. And we thank you ultimately for Jesus and all he's done for us. So uh, send us out from here, ready to go live this out and uh, change our lives as we do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Thank you very much. I'll be down uh, in front to pray if you need that. And otherwise, y'all have a great week. All right. Peace.